Hi folks, welcome back to On Call with Insignia, where we go on call with leaders innovating the future of Southeast Asia's internet and digital economy, or as we like to call it, Asia Innovation. And I'm your host, Paolo Aquino. So after our previous episodes on A Leader a Minute and the debut of our audiobook episodes, we're back with a regular programming of calls with founders and investors here in the region. For this particular call, we're on the line with Eric Barbier, the CEO and founder of AAA, a B2B crypto payment solutions company headquartered out of Singapore that helps businesses globally increase their revenue by enabling crypto payments and payouts, giving them access to the spending power of the fast-growing 300 million-plus cryptocurrency users with its white-label crypto payment solutions. Their customers include e-commerce merchants, retailers, game providers, PSPs, fintechs, marketplaces, and tech companies. This company is licensed by the MAS, the Monetary Authority of Singapore, allowing partners to operate in a fully compliant and regulated environment. Now, this call should be pretty exciting and jam-packed because we're not only talking about crypto and AAA's work in pioneering its uses for payments, but also Eric's entrepreneurial journey. Being a serial fintech entrepreneur who founded Mobile365, a mobile messaging hub back in 1999 that reached a subscriber base of over 400 million and was acquired by Sybase, which was later acquired by SAP for $425 million. Then he founded Transfer2, now called Thunes, from Singapore in 2006 to enable cross-border mobile-first money transfers, raising over $60 million and establishing it as the largest payment network connected to mobile wallets with partners like PayPal and M-Pesa. So Eric has had a fascinating career founding and scaling companies amidst challenging market conditions like the turn of the millennium dot-com boom and crash, then the global financial crisis, as well as driving payments adoption and use cases from Web2 mobile platforms to now Web3 with AAA. So really a privilege to have him here on call with us today to talk about learnings and insights from all these experiences and how this is shaping AAA's impact as a crypto adoption driver for businesses. Before you go on call, be sure to give us a follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast platforms, and stay tuned for our latest insights on our Twitter at InsigniaVC and Instagram at Insignia underscore VC. Now let's get into the call. Hey, Eric, thank you for joining us on call today. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. It's great to be on your show. Thanks so much for coming on. I mean, there are a lot of Web3 startups and Web3 companies are building, you know, different aspects of this whole economy, but then it's not very often that you really find entrepreneurs who are really matched to the right use cases. And so speaking of founder market fit, founder product fit, I'd love for you to bring us back to 1999 and how you started this journey in fintech. Maybe you can share with us how you became co-founder and CEO of this mobile messaging hub in Europe. And then how did that experience eventually lead you into transfer to, into doing, you know, B2B mobile payments out of Singapore? Happy to, to share more about the history. But yeah, I started Mobile365 in Europe together with three other co-founders. And the idea back then, I don't know if you recall, but when you were in Hong Kong, you couldn't send a text message to the Philippines. And so what, we, what we've been doing was to start interoperability internationally of SMS. If you recall what the, an SMS is, the thing before WhatsApp. And so that was a very interesting journey. It was like the dot-com era. We raised a lot of money, over $70 million back then from mostly uh, Californian VCs. We did a lot of mistakes as often when you're raising too much money. And we had to raise money at very bad time. Like I remember 2002, 2003, that was really bad. But we ended up selling the company to Sybase for $400 million. And then Sybase got acquired by SAP. It, it was a very interesting journey. And that's where I moved to Singapore. So I was initially based in Paris. I was the CTO and I, that's how I moved to Singapore 2001 to expand the business in Asia. 
and then you you went to do transfer too, right? Yes. So how did you eventually decide to go into payments? Because I mean, like going from mobile connectivity, like I mean, there are lots of options that you can sort of venture into, right? Even though we did a great exit, actually, most of the money has been made by the investors. So I, I was not rich enough to stop working. And that's where I started transfer to. I was, so I was already based in Singapore. And I actually got the idea while I was traveling to the Philippines. And I realized that people were exchanging prepaid mobile credit between each other. And I say, oh, if people are doing it within the Philippines, there's probably a business to do it cross-border. So say from Singapore to the Philippines or Hong Kong to the Philippines and all the other immigration corridors. And that's how I started Transfer 2. Our very first transaction was in 2008. That was between Malaysia and Indonesia. And then it grew to what has now become Tunes. And I still remember those days, definitely free all these e-wallets where you could buy load, where you still had to do it. I still remember doing it on my on my Nokia phone back then. It's great to see that you've been a proponent of a lot of this change through these companies. And you've definitely learned a lot, not just being an operator, but also building companies from the ground up. And so 20 years from 1999, when you started Mobile360, you're now starting AAA, right? Still payments, but now building B2B solutions for the crypto space. So maybe you could share a little bit about what are the things that you were seeing in the market? I think this was around 2018 and maybe even personal factors that led you to decide to actually start working on AAA. I got introduced to crypto with my engineers at Tunes. It was funny because it was a Friday night and usually on Friday night, the developers, the tech guys, they were usually playing games, but that day they were not playing games. So I tried to understand what they were doing and they told me about mining and trading and things you can do with crypto. And I actually bought my first crypto from one of my developers. So that's how I got to get interested in crypto. And then I realized that I had a lot of my clients having a lot of fraud issues with trade card payments. So when I discovered crypto, I say, oh yeah, that's, that's really a perfect solution to help merchants having fraud issues because the beauty of crypto is that there's no risk of fraud. There's no possibility to do a chargeback. Linking the two together, I felt like that was a very interesting uh, solution to help merchants, especially cross-border selling digital goods to be able to have a payment solution without any risk of fraud. Speaking of pain points and, and the merchants that you guys are, are helping out with AAA, Maybe you can explain for our listeners who might not be so familiar, how does, you know, AAA impact the user experience of a merchant looking at it from their perspective? Maybe you can give a specific example of a digital transaction that commonly occurs in AAA. For instance, we're working with Charles and Keith, which is a Singapore brand, but fairly popular across the world. And so what we're helping them is that in addition to the traditional payment option, like paying by cards or by Alipay, and so on. Now you have a new payment option, which is pay with your crypto. And that's what we power. So say you're buying a pair of shoes for $100. What will happen is, and you decide to pay with crypto, you will be asked with which crypto you want to buy. Bitcoin, for instance, Ethereum, USDC, and so on. So you choose the crypto you want to buy with. And then what we do is we are locking the exchange rate for 25 minutes. So this means that no matter what is the volatility of the crypto, even during the checkout process, the merchant is guaranteed to receive a hundred dollar on their bank account the next day. So we're completely shielding the merchants from all the issues of crypto, like volatility, security, as well as compliance. So for the merchant, we really act like any of their payment gateway, exactly the same way they would work with a Stripe or somebody like this or an ADN, and then they get dollars on their bank account next day. 
that's really the key sort of the lock-in period that you guys set because again even if you know crypto uh, offers really that transparency which you mentioned earlier there is that volatility that comes with it and so what is the offset in terms of that lock-in is there any offset that you guys need to do in order to make sure that that lock-in is sustainable and can be applied to any sort of coins or any tokens? So we're working with a dozen exchanges on the back end. So we have a very deep liquidity we can tap on. And so we're connected with all those liquidity providers through APIs. So we're able to immediately convert the crypto back to dollars or pesos or the currency of a merchant. So as such, you know, in our business model, we're not taking any crypto risk. We're not keeping crypto on our balance sheet in the long run. I'm interested to know, you know, especially in light of, you know, the recent round, which should have been announced by the time listeners are hearing to this, that was led by Razer. And you talked about in that press release about, you know, the importance of the gaming community as a market segment, aside from gamers, who are the typical types of customers would actually pay using crypto for buying something from Charles and Keith? So we have so many different type of users. You can have some of the people who've been investing long time ago and who are now quite rich. And then they would spend more on luxury items, things of this nature. We are also doing sub $1 transaction, for instance, in Salvador with Digicel. In Salvador, coin is legal tender. So meaning the merchants there, they have to accept Bitcoin. And for that, we've implemented the Lightning Protocol, which is the cheap and fast version of Bitcoin. So that can be a $1 top-up of a prepaid code. And as you know, you mentioned all the, you know, gamers young generation and so on. There's a huge match between the gamers and the cryptocurrency users. But there's 300 million people who are owning and using cryptocurrencies across the world. So you have so many different use cases as more and more people are paying and get paid with crypto. Yeah, I really like that you illustrated, you know, from the crypto rate and those who are, you know, using it for sub $1 transactions. It really shows sort of the breadth of the capabilities that you guys can do in terms of facilitating these transactions. And given the fact that you help a lot of these transactions really globally, how would you say AAA sort of stands out in terms of the broader Web3 ecosystem, like in terms of other payment solutions providers? I think what's pretty unique about AAA is the fact that we are on the use case of crypto as a form of payment. Today, a lot of what we've seen and what is kind of collapsing at the moment is everything which is more related to trading the pure speculative use case, where what we do is we really use crypto in the way it was invented. The first invention of Bitcoin was really a way to transfer value or, or money to somebody else. So that's what we've been focusing on. I would say the second thing as well is that we are not coming from the angle of being the crypto cowboy where is the far west, you can do whatever you want, not regulated. My approach was really the opposite. I'm a big believer that for crypto to be used mainstream, it has to be regulated. And so that's why we took the focus of doing everything by the book, making sure that all the transactions are being screened against potential money laundering. We're doing sanctionless screening and things of this nature. So we have a very strong compliance program, and that's for me the big differentiator. That leads exactly into my next question, actually, which is speaking of compliance, AAA is actually the first crypto payments company to secure a license from the MAS under Singapore, Singapore's new payment services act, which actually came 
slightly later than when you founded AAA. So I guess you're also keeping a close watch in terms of how the regulations were developing and, and really took the chance once it came up. So maybe you could share with us, what was that journey like to actually secure that license? And then what has it meant for, for AAA? So the journey was pretty long. It took us something like 18 months to get the license. I think we've been quite lucky to get the license among the first one for a crypto payment. And there's still very few licenses which have been issued. I think the main reasons are the fact that we're having a B2B business model and doing compliance on B2B, doing a KYC on a business, it's way easier than doing a KYC on a consumer, on an individual. Because, you know, if someone brings a million dollars to you in Bitcoin or something, how do you know how you got them and so on? That's very difficult. Where for a business, you're having supporting documents, audited accounts, and so on. And I think the second reason as well is that I think MAS and a couple of other regulators knew me because I had license in different jurisdictions. I'm sitting on the board of companies in, regulated in Singapore, in... Middle East, I think as well, right? So it's actually the first digital bank in Saudi Arabia, yes. It's really significant milestone, not just for AAA, but also for the ecosystem large, right? And it's good that you brought up really sort of that importance of being able to do proper KYC, given that there are only a few licenses right now in, in Singapore and Singapore is already sort of leading the pack in the region, right? So how do you see this evolving licenses regime in the broader DeFi ecosystem here in Southeast Asia? I believe that MS will continue to have a, a cautious approach to issuing licenses because they really want to make sure that the people having a license are able to handle it. Right now, they're also looking at what's going to be the impact, the fact that the crypto markets are crashing, that will take them even longer time to assess all those licenses. If we look at it more broadly across Southeast Asia, things are still pretty slow. There's some interesting things happening in the Philippines. Malaysia has already a couple of licensed NGT. But as far as I know, I haven't seen a complete regulation as we have it with the Payment Service Act. So it's it's usually either more on the trading or on the payment, but it's not holistic yet in a region. The one in the developed country, the one we're looking for is really what's going to happen in Europe because that's already a significant market for us. It's always, you know, worth remembering for our audience that even if AAA is based in Singapore, you guys have pretty much tapping into a global market and it's really important for you guys to be able to keep your eyes on how these licensed regimes are developing also in developed markets. But going back to Singapore, right? Like apart from the regulation, are there any other advantages that you see in terms of starting or having headquarters here for AAA? And maybe in addition to that, what can other Web3 ventures globally learn from Singapore or, you know, operating in Singapore? My previous company, Tunes, I started it in Singapore. So I, I believe Singapore is, is really a very efficient place to run a business from. And for crypto, we're, we're very lucky to have this proper regulation regime, which things you can do or you cannot do and how to do them. So that's pretty unique in the world. And very often I'm getting this question is like, oh, so you're based in Singapore. So your market is Asia. No, really, you know, you can run a global business from Singapore. That's my message to founders or anyone like, you know, Singapore is not, is not only about Asia. Having seen sort of even Web2 mobile, solo mode, that whole movement evolve, and then now Web3 seeing it evolve, going through its ups and downs as well. What is the biggest thing that you had to unlearn from having grown a Web2 payments business? And now with AAA, what is something that an assumption or something that you got used to in the past, building tunes or Mobile360 that now you can't really apply to Web3? You know, what comes to my mind, what's very different from my previous ventures is the fact that my clients can be 
pretty much any kind of business. While when I was doing the mobile thing is like I was mostly dealing with mobile operators. So there's like 500 telcos around the world. So you have a list and you go there one by one. Same thing for tunes, mostly targeting remittance and payment companies. You can still print out a list. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. While here is like a lot of potential business can be my clients. It's very tough to know ahead of time who's going to be big, who's not going to be so big. So I need to kind of change my sales process to adapt it to something which is so diverse and to make sure we're pretty efficient. You know, one of the problems is like crypto being so popular, it's kind of easy to get a meaning because people love to get educated about crypto. But are you going to make business? That's the thing you need to be careful with. I think it's really important. And I mean, it's something not only that we see with, with Web3, but even, for example, like with FinTech, right? A lot of people are excited about the tech, but they forget about the Fin part and the risk management and all the discipline that has to come into building these kinds of businesses. And so speaking of that, right, like you've also seen sort of the different cycles you've been through the first, the dot-com crash, and then with the tunes, also the global financial crisis. And then now you're seeing with the tech market as well, it, it's slowing down and, and even crypto is taking a, a huge hit as well. How is your mindset when it comes to these types of environments? And maybe if you have any advice for other founders out there from your past experience, and even now how you're handling things at AAA. You know, I've, I've always... <laughs> I've always started company in the worst. You know, I, I remember when I was looking for money, that was 2008, 2009 for Tunes Transfer 2. That was a very tough environment. What's interesting is as I get older, I'm spending less and less money. I'm raising less and less, and I'm trying to be more and more uh, capital efficient. What I'm trying to do, with, and that's what I did with AAA, is always to be very close to be profitable. And so at any point in time, I'm able to go back to profitability, so I will not need to raise money in a bad situation. Also, obviously, because it's B2B and so on, there's only so much money you, you can raise and spend. And my experience is that when you have too much money, you're spending them a bit stupidly sometimes. And I'd also like to think, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the way for AAA to really scale might not actually require, you know, and usually the reason why startups raise a lot of funding in order to scale, right? And in AAA's case, the, the path to scaling may not be as, as costly because you guys, as you mentioned, you're already able to, even at this point, reach, you know, a lot of different customers around the globe already. And it's very API based and software based. So sales, I guess, isn't as costly. The only thing is because we're a regulated business, the only thing where you, you have to add more people is on the compliance side. So as we're growing the number of clients and the number of transactions, you don't need to have more tech guys if you have to handle $1 million or $10 million, but on the compliance side, you do. So that's the thing. And as the volume are growing, you need to, especially the number of clients, you need to have more people on that. I also wanted to touch on a, a quick topic here on stable coins in particular, and that's because in a previous call, experts, uh, CEO Tianwei, he really talked about the importance of having local stable coins. Obviously, they're the guys behind AccessGD. So maybe you also wanted to get your thoughts on this, where this fits also into AAA's value proposition long term. In general, stablecoin, I see this as a big game changer across the world because they have the capability to solve one of the big problems is how to do real-time settlements compared to the couple of days a swift transfer is going to do. So there's a lot of businesses who can't afford to wait like two or three days for having a swift payment clear. So stablecoin is very important. And today we only have actually quite few good stablecoins and they're all in US dollars. So I fully agree with him is that we need to get more stablecoins in many more countries. And we're actually 
talking to experts to see how we can add XSGE support. We would love to see more stable coins in the Eurozone. Uh, India or Indonesia would be very good candidate as well. I'd also like to shift gears on really building a team on Web3. We touched on it a little bit in terms of like tech versus sales, but maybe what's the biggest difference that you've seen in terms of like bringing a team together for a Web3 venture versus your previous companies? The good thing about that is usually tech guys, they love crypto. So all the tech CEOs I know are struggling to hire talent. I'm not saying it's easy, but Usually people, when they have to choose between crypto and I don't know, a delivery app, they prefer to work with crypto. So, so that's one of the good thing about that. In a way, we're lucky for that. Another thing that I also wanted to talk about is that we're also seeing a lot of fintech companies getting into crypto as well. I think even in our portfolio, you have Agile have launched their crypto service. You have extras as well. And you also have guys like Brancas and Open Finance trying to create APIs as well for crypto payments, being an investor and board member in a number of global fintech companies as well. Like what are your thoughts on a lot of these like Web2 fintechs getting into Web3 or expanding their ecosystem to include crypto? What should these companies sort of look out for when expanding in, in this direction? What I'm saying, and still with my AAA hat, is that a lot of people, they want to go to Web3 and they're looking at partnering with people like us. Because that might be something is like, in terms of go to market, we are having both a direct and indirect go-to-market. So we're going direct to merchants like Charles and Keith or Razor, but we're also working with payment service providers. Because our technology is white labeled and so on, I don't need the AAA name to be there. So I can help payment companies who are already doing card processing, maybe Alipay processing and so on. And then they can add pay with crypto. You guys are also helping fintechs also make that transition as well in, into Web3, right? So definitely also part of that big market base that you talked about earlier. And before we get into our rapid fire round, wanted to close off the main corner of our call here with maybe you can share moving forward. I mean, obviously we're seeing that crypto is still very much nascent here and even globally as well. And there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. And so what do you think are the biggest gaps that need to be solved in terms of, you know, Web3 infrastructure, maybe specifically here in, in this part of the world or, or even globally? Yeah, I think we touched upon it a bit. I think what needs to be improved is on the regulation side, having clearer licensing regime and regulation. A lot of countries are kind of looking at what Singapore has been doing and try to do their own favor of the payments of this act, which I think is a well-balanced regulation. That would be the biggest gap. For the rest, I think the market is really ready. It feels like all the players are kind of ahead of a regulation as often. So for me, that would be the biggest gap. In the next five years, where do you see AAA as a company? How would AAA look like, especially in the context of where we are now in the crypto space and Web3? In three years from now, I believe that businesses, many of them will have the need of having a whole crypto processing capability. So I would say becoming a, a crypto payment bank for businesses. Ultimately, when you are a business in Indonesia, for instance, you will have multiple accounts. You will have your IPR, your USD, but you will have also your crypto accounts. So my vision is that we want to be the crypto treasury partner of EFOs, of businesses. And just a quick side question there. How much of the pie do you see crypto taking in terms of business payments, say three to five years down the road versus, you know, the, the usual like fiat. It's a $300 trillion market. So it's a huge market. This crypto payment can represent like five, 10% of the cross-border B2B payments. 
obviously, you know, especially the people with tight working capital, the smaller players, because people who are getting paid at 90 days, they don't really care. But for people, you know, where being paid a couple of days earlier makes a difference, that's the one who are going to adopt crypto first. And you really brought up an important point of AAA also really driving financial inclusion as well for a lot of these businesses who are typically unable to get these transactions done with the status quo currencies or status quo methods. And now I'd like to get into the most important part of our call, which is the rapid fire round. So what are the top three traits of a great Web3 founder? It needs to be creative. It needs to listen to clients to understand the actual needs of the market. And it needs to be able to drive a team to go in the same direction. I'm not sure it's specific to Web3. At the end of the day, you're really running a business anyway. So that's right. What's your favorite book, podcast, or resource, you know, that you would recommend our audience to learn about more about crypto or DeFi? On tech, it's all, of course your podcast, which is the most important one. The thing I like, it's a newsletter and they also have a podcast, which is Fintech Blueprint. They're pretty, pretty good. Yeah, it's Fintech, but very much crypto. Fintech Blueprint, right. What digital technology or innovation excites you the most today, apart from crypto payments or, or even outside of fintech? Like anything that you're using personally or? What's fascinating, um, it's all the innovations which are happening in the gaming industry. So, and they're playing with crypto, but not only. What's fascinating is to see how usually all the gaming are so innovative, whether it's in terms of new business model, new technology and so on. So that's an interesting point of having kids is that looking at what they do is, is amazing to see and how fast those gaming companies are adopting those new technologies and inventing stuff, which are very interesting. So I think it's a very good source of inspiration. Really, gaming companies are really pushing the definition of Web3 beyond sort of the finance realm and really, you know, seeing as how, you know, kids are, are sort of the main proponents. Younger people, younger gamers are also the main proponents of this. What's your favorite go-to, you know, destination since borders are opening up and you yourself, I think you're, you're also on the road these days. What's your favorite go-to destination in Southeast Asia for leisure and not for work? For leisure, I'm a big fan of Thailand. Any particular place in Thailand? I love Bangkok. It is nice as well. You know, I love the food. I love pretty much everything. Last question for the rapid fire round is what do you do to de-stress or do self-care as a, as a founder? So I stopped playing golf because it's actually more stressing than guessing. what I have to do. I, I like to do gardening on my free time. Gardening helps to empty the head. Any particular plants that you're focusing on or learning how to grow these days? I like bougainvillea because they are pretty easy to maintain and they're really nice. It's a nice contrast to really de-stress. So on that note, you know, thank you so much, Eric, for coming on call with us, giving us really a jam-packed conversation, going all the way from your journey through the different cycles and through the evolution of mobile and then now into payments and then crypto as well. And then also your own thoughts in terms of how things are evolving and will continue to evolve even with the current market as well as your learnings as a leader and a founder building companies. And I'm sure a lot of takeaways for our audience for today. So once again, thank you for coming on, Eric. Hopefully, I mean, we've just had the privilege of partnering with you guys. So hope to have, you know, future conversations with you and hope to have you back on call with us soon. Thank you so much for having me, Arlo. Uh, Stay on the line with us for more conversations with our founders and investors in the region. Until our next call, I am Paolo Oquina and this has been On Call with Insignia Ventures.